Oh yeah. I mean, as soon as I opened my practice, I was booked, which was very fortunate. Um, but I think it just goes to show how many people were, were then and really still are now lacking for good information. And, and it's crazy. A lot of marriage and family therapy programs don't even have a single course on sexuality, you know, and these are people who are working with couples. And a lot of times they're, are issues with sexuality or the problems in their relationship are impacting their sex life. And they were just not equipped at all to talk about it, usually because of the own taboo that they still held about talking about the issue and, and just not having the training and information. Are you ready to decide it's your turn to live your most purposeful, profitable, passionate life? I'm Christina LeCure, former professional golfer turned confidence and success coach. I truly believe every one of us was put here for a God-given purpose, and it is our responsibility to live that fully. For well over a decade now, I've been turning my life as well as countless others around from feeling unworthy, incompetent, and without a purpose to living a life I cannot wait to wake up for even on days when shit hits the fan. And it all started with a decision. Yeah, you heard that right. I said God and shit in the same sentence. So clearly this won't be your typical podcast, but what I can assure you is that each week myself and my guests are going to enlighten you, fire you up and having you walk away with stories and strategies to not only boost your confidence, but give you hope that at any moment in time, you have the power to decide it's your turn. Hey, y'all, welcome back to the podcast. So today's episode, you may or may not want to listen to in front of your children. And that's saying a lot due to the fact that I cuss. Today's episode is all about sex. That's right. I'm joined by Dr. Emily Jamia. She is a sex and relationship expert. She is the host of the Love and Libido podcast. Her new book, Anatomy of Desire comes out early next year. And today we talk about all the things, everything from passion to what is good sex, how to have good sex, orgasms, menopause, kids, all of the things. You guys are going to enjoy today's episode. Please be sure to share this episode with someone who needs it. Go batch Emily's podcast. Go batch listen to it right now. Be sure to follow her and tag someone who needs to hear this episode. I know that this is perhaps a taboo topic for some people, but I really think you're going to enjoy today's episode. And I also think we need to be talking about this more and more. So today's episode, Dr. Emily Jamia, share it, enjoy it. Be sure to share it with a friend. All right, y'all. I was just telling my new girlfriend, Emily, that this is the first time I've ever talked about this on a podcast. So if I get a little nervous and a little sweaty, you know why. Um, <laughs> we are talking about rate sex today. So if you've got some little ones uh, listening to this podcast in the car, whatever, wherever you got, you, you use your discretion on using this podcast. You guys know I cuss like a sailor. So you've already known that ahead of time. So I don't know if we talking about, you know, orgasms and sex and libido and all those things bug you, but I am joined by my new friend, Dr. Emily Jamia is joining me today and she is a great sex therapist. So thanks for being here, girl. So happy to be here. This is always a fun conversation. And for anyone listening, if you're feeling a little nervous, just take a deep breath. We are going to be talking about something that is not only totally natural, but also a lot of fun if you know what you're doing. So it should be a good conversation. I'm super stoked. I'm here for it. Like I, we talk about all the things on this podcast, but this is the first time and I'm so excited to connect. Okay. So 
take us back. How in God's name did this happen? How did you become, you know, the social media expert on sex and author now? And you're obviously you're a doctor, a therapist, but take us back to kind of how this started, please. And thank you. Sure. So I live in Houston now, but I was raised in a small town in East Tennessee, very conservative. Um, However, my dad was an OB-GYN. So in our house, sex was not a taboo topic. I mean, I grew up very well informed about periods and all the things. And I always heard him on the phone with his patients and it was just no big deal. But it became apparent to me that that was not the case for a lot of my friends. And so I would be the one that they would come to with questions about things because they were too embarrassed to ask their own parents about it. And so I think even from a young age, I was giving sex advice, or at the very least advice about, you know, reproduction and the body and that sort of thing, uh, before it was officially a profession. And then fast forward, we moved to Houston, eventually I went on to study at the University of Texas, I was studying psychology, and I took a human sexuality elective. And I just thought it was so interesting, I knew I wanted to specialize in something. And I just remember thinking that, Sex is such an interesting window into the psyche. You can learn so much about a person and their relationship by asking questions about sexuality. Um, And so from that point on, I geared all of my um, class coursework and everything I could towards sexuality and went on to earn my master's and then my PhD. And, um, And it's interesting, when I first opened shop in Houston, I was one of only like three certified sex therapists practicing in the whole city of 4 million people. So at that time, it was still something that people felt uncomfortable with. There was a lot of taboo. Um, now things have changed and people are more open and, you know, willing to ask their friends if they know a good sex therapist and that sort of thing. But at the time that wasn't the case. And so I've been busy and and now there's more sex therapists in town, which is a good thing because we always need more help. Well, that's so interesting because my immediate thought when you said that was, oh my God, you were immediately sold out, right? Oh yeah. I mean, as soon as I opened my practice, I was booked, which was very fortunate. Um, but I think it just goes to show how many people were were then and really still are now lacking for good information. And, and it's crazy. A lot of marriage and family therapy programs don't even have a single course on sexuality, you know, and these are people who are working with couples. And a lot of times they're are issues with sexuality or the problems in their relationship are impacting their sex life. And they were just not equipped at all to talk about it, usually because of the own taboo that they still held about talking about the issue and and just not having the training and information. So. Oh yeah. I would immediately think like the minute you started your practice, you were immediately like, I'm going to be sold out because no one talks about it. Like it's it's yes. still to this day. So taboo. I mean, you know, we obviously talk about it a little bit as girlfriends, but it's not like a deep conversation. If someone is actually struggling, it's almost more of like that laugh type of, you know, that mm-hmm. lighthearted conversation as opposed yeah. to like the deep conversation. And, you know, mm-hmm. I have, I've had a, a bunch of relationship experts on the podcast and I've told them and my audience probably knows, I've always felt a little bit, um, unequipped to talk about relationship. And I know that sounds so weird considering I've been with my husband for 20 years and I truly do believe I have the greatest marriage ever because I've worked my ass off for it. But it's funny because I don't feel like an 
like I'm equipped to talk about it because so many people struggle in relationships. So many people struggle in their sex lives. Now, I don't know if I have a quote unquote normal sex life because I've never really thought of it as an issue. But, you know, sometimes you hear people talking about like having sex. They're like, oh, my gosh, I have like seven days a week. And then you hear people that don't have it for months. And you're just like, what the fuck is actually normal? So you want to kind of start there? (laughs) I think that's a great place to start because normal is one of those words that I really like to throw out (laughs) from the get-go. There are certain words we try to avoid when we're talking about sexuality. Normal is one, performance is another, those kinds of things just don't serve us. So really what is quote unquote normal is all about what is healthy and feels good to you and your partner. That's it. You know, you don't need to compare yourself to the neighbors just because you saw on Oprah that healthy couples have sex three times a week or whatever doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you because you and your partner are having more or less sex than that. So every couple has to determine what is going to be healthy for them, what feels good in their relationship. And that's going to look different for different people. So the thing I think that's so interesting about sexuality is there's such a wide spectrum. It's not like, you know, it's quote unquote normal to eat three meals a day. I mean, it's it's just not like that. You can't think of it the same way as you think of other behaviors because there are just so many nuances. Okay. So what the first question that came to my mind, I have a, like literally a laundry list of questions, but the very first question that is not on this list, but what if one spouse wants it less, or I'm sure this is the number one question, right? Like Mm -hmm. everyone comes to you, like my husband wants it more than me, or I want it more than my husband. Like what happens in those types of situations? They obviously come to you and then. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So the first thing we, we always do is we try not to pathologize the person with lower desire. A lot of times, either the partner will identify the lower desire partner as the one, quote unquote, with the problem, or, or they themselves think there's something wrong with them because they're not thinking about or wanting sex all of the time like their partner is. So that's the first thing is we identify it not as a low desire issue necessarily, but as a discrepancy and desire issue. So that's the language we use. And then I always like to look at, okay, what's contributing to each person's desire for sex? You know, if there are things we can identify that are contributing to the lower desires partners, you know, interest in sexuality, then we talk about that. But a lot of times there are things that may be contributing to someone having a much higher interest in sex. Maybe they are overly dependent on sex as a coping mechanism to deal with stress, or they feel insecure in their relationship for whatever reason. And they use sex as a way to reassure themselves that they are still wanted in their relationship. So there are things that can definitely contribute to desire on the higher end of the spectrum and on the lower end of the spectrum. And the other thing I tell people is that in most couples, there's going to be a little bit of a higher desire and lower desire partner. You just don't want the discrepancy to be so wide that it's causing a ton of relationship conflict. And so, you know, I always think about it as what can I do, not necessarily to completely eliminate the gap, but to narrow the gap so that both people feel like it's not causing so much distress in their relationship. Yeah, I love that. So what one of the things that you wrote when in the intake form that I really like, you really talk a lot about connection, like the connection between two people. And that obviously probably is one of the big things that narrows the gap. But what else kind of narrows the gap in regards to like getting a little bit closer to what the other person wants? 
Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think it's a really important point to talk about. You know, a lot of people still think that men want sex and women want emotional connection. And, you know, I would say of the couples who come to see me that are dealing with a discrepancy in desire, probably 60 to 65% of the time, it's the male partner who has higher desire in heterosexual couples. And then, you know, 40 to 35% of the time, it's the female partner. But I have yet to have a guy in my office say, the only reason I want to have sex with my wife is to get off. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It is not just about physical pleasure or, you know, having an orgasm for them. A lot of times they see sex as the ultimate opportunity for emotional connection. And then what ends up happening too, for a lot of women is they're socialized to believe this, that men just want sex or socialized to think that women aren't interested in sex or that women aren't as sexual as men. And that's simply not true. And so they start believing this thing about themselves. So a lot of times it's it's a matter of kind of waking up someone's innate sexuality so that they can get in touch with it and also understand that sexual connection and emotional connection are not distinct concepts, especially in loving relationships. They really are one and the same. And so I think a lot of times just changing the way we think about sexual and emotional connection can do wonders to narrow that gap. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, connection is like so many different pieces, right? And like, that's just a huge part of any relationship. Like when I am connected to Nate, do you talk a lot about like your love languages and stuff like that? Does that like a big thing in your practice? I wouldn't say it's like a big thing, but it can definitely be helpful to understand, you know, how your partner is trying to communicate their love. Oh my God. Yeah. Like for me, it is like quality time. Like I promise you, my husband could bring me home and I think I've said this example, he could bring me home a brand new car and I'd be like, yay, thanks, babe. I love you so much. He could call me from the office and be like, Hey, do you want to have lunch? And I will be like, I will have sex with you right (laughs) now. Like 100%. I am like, because to me that is like like that is my connection I just need time and Mm -hmm. and he knows that but I also know that like words of affirmation is his and you know as a strong female that's very hard for me because I'm like I got this by myself but sometimes I I just shut the hell up and be like you do this for me and he feels love the opposite way and then he wants then he wants sex I mean it's just to me I guess it don't feel like it's quote unquote, that hard anymore, because I'm so connected to him. And that's why I loved when you said in your intake form, it's about the connection. So let's talk about the person who's not super connected to their spouse. And, you know, one thing that I've always been very open about is my husband and I do not have children. And I definitely feel like perhaps that is, um, you know, I think it's a good thing and a bad thing in some regards, being able to relate to a lot of people. I can't relate in certain aspects for, but those people that do have children and that becomes like a huge part of the story. How do you help someone like make those connections when kids do come into the picture? I'm sure there's just so many ways we can go from here, but Totally. Well, I'll tell you, as a mom of a three and a five-year-old, I'm not only like preaching it, I'm living it myself. <laughs> You're living I it. To, I have to practice everything that I preach. If I didn't, I think I would be on the struggle bus, just like so many of my clients. Um, so I think number one, it's important to know that 
Research shows that marital satisfaction goes down by about 75% after kids come into the picture. Wow. <laughs> they, we love them and they are adorable and we can't imagine our lives without them, but they can definitely throw a wrench into things. And so, I mean, I think it's amazing that you and Nathan identified that you didn't necessarily want to take that on because it yeah. can compromise otherwise really wonderful relationships. And so I think it's so important. I just did a post about this to talk through all the different ways that having kids might impact your relationship. And it's not too late to have that conversation if you already have kids. But, you know, I think the biggest thing that I want people to remember is that it takes a village. We live in a very individualistic society, culture, country, especially here in the United States, where we think that we can and should be able to do it all on our own. And it's just not possible to do that without losing yourself in the mix. A colleague of mine just wrote a book called um, How to Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself, which I think is such a great- Oh, brilliant. Yeah, the you author? Need to, you need to get her on the show. Her name's um, Dr. Morgan Cutlip. Okay. So just had her on my podcast and we were talking about it and she's so good. Um, but I think it's really important- for women these days to hang on to the things that made them who they were prior to having kids. Um, in my own relationship, I and mean, we talked at length about this because I had seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, of course, through my years working as a relationship therapist. And, you know, from day one, it's like, he can have his guy's night. I can have my girl's night. We prioritize our date nights. And believe me, there were times, or, you know, especially when they were babies that I was like, the last thing I want to do is get dressed and go out on a Saturday night. But it was one of those things that like going to the gym that I was always glad that I did because it gave us an opportunity to reconnect as a couple separate from kids. And so, yeah, you want to talk about things like, well, who can you rely on for childcare? Can you budget in childcare if you don't have family to watch the kids so that you can get some alone time as a couple? Um, I think we also live in like a very kid-centric Society. That was the question I was going to ask. Cause I'll be honest. I do yeah. feel like as a coach, I feel like I'm very much a unicorn in this situation. A lot of coaches in my position all have children. And I think it puts me in a disservice for some things, but I think it puts me at an advantage for seeing the way that a lot of you moms and dads put so much pressure on yourself. And I'm just like, y'all are out of your fucking minds right now. Y'all yeah. need to like feel like I mean, going I to 17 kid events is insanity. Oh my gosh. I can't tell you how liberating it was. Like my daughter just started kindergarten and we went to meet the teacher. You know, she's like, okay, the room mom or room parent sign up form is here. Be sure we, you know, need a group of people to be the room parents. And I looked at it and I walked right past. It. Yes, girl. Yes. I'm here for it. <laughs> I know. I was like, I can do some, like, I can volunteer for the field trip or do some like one-off things, but you know, there may be people who really want to take that on and who am I to take that from them? Yeah. <laughs> but I also, you know, I know myself, I know what my limits are and I'm very clear on when I need to say no. And sometimes that means that I say no to a lot of things. It may mean that we, you know, we don't go to every birthday party that fills up our weekend because we also want to do the things that we enjoy, like a yoga class or whatever. So I think it's so important to remind yourself that you do not have to do it 
all at 100% all of the time. Because I think when you do that, you don't just compromise your relationship, you compromise your sense of self too. And then what happens is the kids grow up and you feel completely lost. I always tell people that you cannot separate your individuality from your sexuality. They are one and the same. So anything that affects the way you see yourself as an individual is going to come out in how you express yourself sexually. And if you don't have a very strong sense of self, if you no longer do the things that you used to love, that's going to compromise desire. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, I love that. So, you know, everything I stand for is decision and confidence and, you know, taking a ton of action. And I think that it's very much like what you're saying, because I think that the confidence in your sexuality is confidence in who you are as a human. And I think so many people, you know, a lot more females than males. I have probably 25% of my clients are men and 75% of my clients are women. And I will tell you, if you are not confident in who you are, you're probably not confident enough in your sexuality and being able to stand up for what you actually truly want and being mm -hmm. able to say those things. And I mean, Every, it, it, you're absolutely correct. It's like what you're doing in your quote unquote real life is probably what you're doing in your sexual life. The mirror. Yeah, it can definitely be a mirror for sure. And so, you know, I want to encourage people to see sex, not just as an opportunity for emotional connection, but also as an opportunity for self-expression. You know, a lot of people don't think about it like that. They just whittle it down to a thing that's happening between two bodies, but there is so much more that we can gain from a sexual experience if we opened our mind up to more possibilities. Do you think that there's still the stereotype? And I, I'm sure there is, I'm sure it's getting better, but like, I feel like there's such like a taboo stereotype around having sexual energy. And I feel like it's gotten like, as I'm getting older, I feel like it's more quote unquote, okay. Is that the way it typically goes? Or is it supposed to be when you're younger? I feel better now sexually at 41, almost 41 than yeah. I did at, in my twenties. Is that normal? I think it's, it, it is quote unquote normal. Yeah. Okay. Well, a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people feel that way because there is less inhibition. You're more clear on who you are to the point that I was just making. I mean, no one knows really who they are in their twenties. Oh, I think no. at that time you're still figuring yourself out and you know, sex can be kind of muddled down with, you know, too much alcohol or an unhealthy relationship, or it's, you know, I think a little bit more hormone driven when you're younger versus when you're older than it is more about things I was just talking about, connection and self-expression and all of those things. Um, you know, I think there's also this idea that sex is only hot, like in the honeymoon phase of a relationship, but you know, I think that once the intensity transitions to intimacy and you have time together and there's like a level of familiarity, but also if you can mix in some novelty, then you have like the perfect cocktail for the ultimate sexual connection. You know, it's like the analogy I, I give is just think of anything that you're new at, whether you've decided to take up surfing or snow skiing or painting, like you're not going to be that good at it when you first start. It might be kind of exciting, but it's not until you get really comfortable with your materials or your instrument or whatever 
your surfboard that you start to gain that skill set and you have higher levels of attunement with whatever it is you're doing. And so I encourage people to think of, especially for folks who are struggling with maintaining passion and long-term monogamous relationships that, you know, it's, it can be kind of like your partner's a a finely tuned instrument. You just have to keep it tuned. So to yeah. speak. <laughs> I always say confidence is like the muscle, the more that you use it, the stronger it gets. And it's the same thing with sex. There you same go. With sex. Yeah. Good sex is not rare. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you, if, if people are struggling, I know that this is like, obviously I don't talk a ton about this on my, on my client calls, but I do know that like, obviously, like I always say, you know, business and personal can't be separate. Like you just can't do business. You know this, you're a business owner, you're an entrepreneur, you know that like personal comes into this all the time. It just does. And over the years, I've had a couple of conversations regarding this. How do you get better? Obviously you probably just do it, but what are your tips on getting better about communicating with your partner? If you're not in the best place, but you don't feel like you need to go to a sex therapist, but like, how do you start those conversations if you're not super comfortable in doing so? Such a good question. I think the biggest hurdle for people is the fear that it's going to be awkward. And people will come to me and they'll be like, well, how do I have that conversation without it being awkward? And my advice to them is you have to just lean into the awkwardness. <laughs> like anything we haven't done in a while is going to feel awkward at first. Anything. I mean, I think like I do love to snow ski. And there was a period of time where I think like six years went between the last time I had skied and the next time. And the first time I put my snow boots on, like it was awkward and I was, it was clunky walking around and I felt a little nervous going up the chairlift. But like after I got over that, I had a blast And so sex is just one of those things that like we're hesitant to lean into the awkwardness, Um, but going through that together, like eventually it will get less awkward. And I think that having those conversations is intimacy building. And at the end, a lot of times people feel closer to their partner. And so that's usually my advice is just do it anyway. Push yourself. No, it's, it's great advice. Hey, y'all, it's Christina. Just jumping in here for two quick seconds to first of all, say thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a subscriber or leaving us a five-star review or leaving us a comment or really thank you for copying that link and sending this episode to someone who may need it. It's how we get the podcast out. You know, there's no advertisements on this podcast and it's just how we get the message out from myself and my guests because This is really why I'm showing up each week is to help people decide it's their turn. And the second thing is I just wanted to let you know that every week I tell you, text me the word podcast or coach to 501-222-3362 or send me a message on Instagram. Both of those ways connect with me directly. And if you've ever had any questions about my one-on-one coaching, you know, on this podcast all the time, I talk about my clients and the results that they're getting. And perhaps you've thought to yourself, well, gosh, what does a coach even do? Or gosh, I need to level up and I need someone to help me get to that next level. If that's ever something that you have thought about, text me 501-222-3362. Ask me any questions. That is a direct connection to me. You guys, I show up, do this podcast, pay thousands of dollars each month to produce it because 
because I love it. I love serving my clients. I love serving you. And I'm so grateful that you're here. So thank you again for listening. If you've never connected with me, send me a text 501-222-3362. Just text me the word podcast or coach. You and I will talk back and forth and I'll be able to serve you in the capacity that I can, or we'll jump on a free clarity call to see if working with a coach is something that you need to get to the next level of life or business. You guys, I'm so grateful. Thank you for listening to the podcast and enjoy the rest of the episode. What about the woman who feels like, you know, because I I'm assuming this is more of a woman thing, but I'm not sure, but like almost feeling like ashamed to talk about it because I do feel like stereotypically society wise, it's like, kind of like, Oh my God, are you like, it's, I feel even bad saying I cuss like a sailor and I feel bad saying yeah. the word slut. So, <laughs> but it does feel like, right. Right. Like if you talk about that, that's kind of like your little bit of who you are. And I, I, again, it's so weird. I can't say that word, but yeah. (laughs) No, but I mean, that right there is part of the problem that people just, it's like on the one hand, women are supposed to look beautiful and sexy and this and that, but God forbid they actually express themselves sexually. But here is what I tell people. Again, I have yet to have a guy come into my office who doesn't say something along the lines of like, he'll do whatever it takes to make sure his wife or his girlfriend or whoever is having a really great time in bed. Like it is in everybody's best interest that women have high levels of sexual pleasure and satisfaction because it makes it better for everyone. It obviously makes it better for you. If you can say, okay, this is what I like. This is what turns me on. But you know, for men in particular, seeing a woman really turned on, turns them on even more. It's a little bit stronger in that direction than it is like as far as a woman pleasing a man, I think. But men get really turned on when they know that they are pleasuring a woman. And so, and they're dying to have more information about how to do that. And so why gatekeep when, again, it's in everybody's best interest to have a good time. So that's what I usually remind people. So ladies, speak the fuck up and ask for what you want. And it's okay to ask for all of the things that you love and be able to say those things. Right. Um, One thing, like, I don't, how old are you? Are you a lot? I'll tell you, I'm 38. (laughs) Okay. So you're young. You're younger than me. So um, I am beginning to get hot flashes, which Uh. is fucking insane I used to make fun like and I I mean this so kindly but I used to make fun of like my mom or whatever when she had a hot flash or whatever I'm just like oh my gosh you're totally exaggerating (laughs) no it is crazy have you seen the Leanne Morgan comedy special by chance no I don't think so do me a favor watch it it is the greatest greatest thing you'll ever see you'll be obsessed with this woman because you're kind of in the right I would die to have like she's got millions of followers she's hilarious she doesn't cuss at all she's from the (laughs) south but she does this little skit on having a hot flash. And I yeah. almost peed my pants when I was oh watching this. Yeah. It was, it's so true. It's like the most <laughs> craziest thing on the planet. And I'm just like, I'm only 41. But anyway, that's that. that there's a lot of reasons why yeah. I'm, I'm getting, uh, you know, all of those things. Mm-hmm. But all of that to be said for the women who are experiencing like menopause and their libido is low, like besides being like, quote unquote, a doctor now, like go get hormones and all the things. Is there anything that women can do? Or like, Mm -hmm. I'm sure this affects 
women's libidos a ton. It does. And, you know, I, I want to echo that how important it is to connect with a medical provider who can get you on the right hormones. I mean, there was a huge study that was like came out in the early 90s called the Women's Health Initiative that scared a lot of women about getting yeah. hormone replacement. But now we know a lot of that science um, was misleading and it's been debunked. And I, but I think a lot of women are just kind of scared about getting hormones or, you know, there's been such a movement towards, you know, natural clean living. And so people are more hesitant to take medication and, and like, that's fine to an extent, but there are a lot of wonderful bioidentical hormones that are bioidentical. It's not anything like synthetic that um, can do wonders to help ease the symptoms. And there's tons of, I can give you some names of great people to follow for more information about that, who are really changing the name of the game as it relates to menopause. I mean, I think that women don't have to suffer the way that they have historically. So on the medical side, I want to echo that on the kind of emotional psychological side. I always um, think back to this study that was done a few years ago. The author was Peggy Kleinplatz, and she looked at couples who um, felt that they had sustained like the optimal sexual connection. And she interviewed them to see what they did to maintain really high levels of passion over the course of long-term relationships. And in her first study, she didn't even bother interviewing people who were under the age of 65 because, (laughs) yeah, because she knew just from her work and prior research that some of the best sex was having, um, was happening in people who were in an older demographic. Oh my God. That's so crazy to think. Okay. I know. I know. So we have this idea that like great sex is, should only be reserved for like the young fit and able-bodied, but that's just not what science tells us. There's, you know, tons of great sex happening in older age. I mean, you hear these reports of like rampant STDs that are being circulated in like nursing home communities or like those communities for, you know, 55. Oh my God. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, my mouth is on the floor. Are you serious? (laughs) Yeah. So, but I think it's because of some of the things that I was saying earlier, like a lot of times the older you are, the less inhibited you are, the less you care about what people think of you. I mean, we all know that older people will sometimes say like the first thing that comes to mind because they don't give a shit like what people are going to react. So um, I think a lot of that plays into how we feel sexually. There's more confidence, less inhibition. They tend to be a bit more like settled into their body. They don't let things like a bad hip or whatever, slow them down for finding other positions that feel good. So there's just a lot to be said for sex as you age. I I just want to always encourage people to think of it as an opportunity to maybe find new and exciting ways of connecting with each other. I love that. That's so good. That's like, you know what? It's actually so true. It's like, I have got, I feel like over the years, obviously I've done a ton of work on myself, but you know, over the years I've become much more of a confident human being, obviously. And I'm, I know who I am and I feel better now at 41 than I probably ever, I keep saying 41. I've got another month. <laughs> I feel better than me. Just a oh, I know. I know. I, I've got like a, like I turn, well, this is when this was recorded in September, I got one more month left to uh, turn 41, but I feel better at 40 than I've ever felt before. And I feel like my marriage is in a really amazing place. Yeah. And I, I do feel sexually that we're in a good place, but you know, I've always kind of had that hesitancy in the back of my mind because you do hear so much about like 
it should be every day. And like, we don't, I guess going back to like the kids thing, I feel like since I don't have kids, I should be a hundred percent like every single day type of situation because I quote unquote, don't have the excuse, but I'm like, damn, who the fuck is up for that every day? I'm out. (laughs) Well, you know, there was a study. So, I mean, I know people always do like to hear the statistics, even though I'm always like, take it with a grain of salt, what's healthy and normal for you and your partner. But Um, It looked at heterosexual couples across different age brackets and asked them like how frequently they were sexual. And so people in our age bracket, which I think was like in the study between 30 to 45, on average had sex like once a week, or it was like three times a month, twice a month to once a week on average. And then there was another study that took people in about that same age cohort and told them to have sex. It measured their sexual satisfaction with once a week. And then it told them to have sex two to three times a week instead and reassess their sexual satisfaction. And they found that it went down. Wow. You know, and that's because, you know, part of, I, I really like to discourage people from thinking of sex as having like a beginning, middle and an end. I think that we all in our partnerships have this like ongoing sexual charge or current. And just because you maybe have intercourse one day, doesn't That's mean- what I was going to ask. Like, inter- yeah. is that only like, you know what I mean? Right. Intercourse is right. that the only way that, to have sex? Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. And you talk it again, looking at the study of older people, a lot of them weren't having a ton of intercourse because maybe they had ED or whatever. So no, there are all kinds of ways to be sexual. And so you can think about how to kind of keep the simmer going in between times that you're having intercourse or having orgasms, whether it's taking a shower together or snuggling together at night or, you know, sending a little flirty text message or something like that. Like all of that is sexual and can lead up to and kind of build to the next experience. So I, I just like to think of it as something you're always kind of picking up on rather than starting over from scratch, if that makes sense. No, I really like that. I'm glad that we pointed that out because I do feel like sexual intercourse is like what everyone's thinking. But I also think that there's so much more in between that, that like, yeah, a hundred percent. Um, what that made me think of a question. What is your opinion on like planned sex? Again, I have a different opinion on that because I don't have children. So it's not like I'm worried about like kids rushing in or whatever. But like, what is your opinion on like plant? Because I know people do this. Like this is a big thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. I am all for it. You're for it. Okay. Tell me why. I want to know. I'm here for it. Yes. Yes. So, okay. A few things. First of all, I love that you use the word planned as opposed to scheduled. Okay. I always tell people to use that. I'm kind of a stickler for language. I don't know. Me too. Plan has a much nicer, more positive connotation. I feel like you plan a picnic, you plan a birthday, but you like schedule a colonoscopy. Like it just, (laughs) I just feel like planned sounds like more fun. So use the word planned, number one. Number two, what I always tell people to do is think of it as a plan B, maybe a fallback plan in case maybe you don't reconnect at other times during the week. So it doesn't mean you totally shut yourself down until Wednesday night at eight o'clock. Like it means you're still open to sex, but if it doesn't happen, then at least, you know, you have that time set aside. And thirdly, I remind people that when they were dating, they were totally planning it. They just didn't call it that, but everyone knew what was going down on Friday night and you shaved all the things and (laughs) you like put a lot of, built a lot of positive anticipation into the experience. 
So that's what I tell people. And then in addition to that, like, look at, there's tons of research that backs this up, you know, talk to, you know, like even Esther Perel, who is like the Taylor yeah. Swift in the sex therapy world. Like, you know, she talks about how important it is to plan it and prioritize it just like anything else that matters to us. So yes, I am team planning. Okay. That's interesting. I actually remember that. So I heard her speak years ago before she was quote unquote, the Taylor Swift in your uh-huh. industry. Um, but I don't, I didn't remember her saying that, but yeah, she was a good, she was a good speaker, but yeah, that's so funny. She's really taken off over the years. Oh yeah. Totally. Um, okay. So if someone's listening to this, like the one thing that I really took from this that I think is really good because I just believe it to be true. I, I do believe I have an amazing relationship and I'm so grateful for it, but I think it's, the reason why I do that is because I prioritize my relationship like a hundred percent. And so if you want to, like, what are the top three things? But I'm, I feel like one of the best things, if you want to create a great sex life, it's putting the time, energy and effort and prioritizing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is probably number one. Yeah. Um, I think that physical touch on a day-to-day basis is really important. Okay. You cannot expect to like feel all the feels when you're making love. if like you've barely touched each other, each other in two weeks. I think that's what can kind of make do it. Relation- do people do that? What? Not touch like- each other? Oh yeah. I mean, tons of people will like live like two ships passing in the night for sure. That makes me so sad. I know it's terrible. Um, so I think that is really important and, um, you know, just having that quality time together as a couple, I think to, to stay connected emotionally is also super important. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that goes into everything. I mean, just, you know, if you are hearing this hear that it is okay to prioritize yourself, it is okay to prioritize your marriage. Like there is so many stimulants in this world, social media, children, work, all the things. But if you're not prioritizing the things that matter the most, how do you expect them to be good? Like, how do you expect to have great sex if you're not prioritizing the person you're having sex with? And, you know, you raised such an interesting point and I was thinking about this before. So I'm glad you reminded me, which was all the stimulants in the world. Totally. I am such a believer in um, avoiding multitasking as much as possible. So we live in a split attention world. I mean, most of us are doing two things at once or maybe thinking about a third thing we should be doing that we just have this kind of manic, frantic split attention and we're like spinning through our day. And how can you expect to go from that to suddenly having a singular focus on one person and one experience and get back in touch with your body with like a flick of the switch? It just doesn't work like that. So I think especially on days when you're hoping to connect sexually try to simplify your day as much as you can stay off your phone, put it into airplane mode, like hours before you, you know, go to bed with your partner, just so that you can start quieting the mind a little bit so that you can get in touch with the body and experience more pleasure. That would probably be, and I just kind of thought of this and maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but is that probably one of the reasons why women have such a hard time to orgasm is because they're always thinking about 19,000 things. 
There are several different reasons. I believe that that is one of them, though. It's actually interesting. I reached out. I was thinking about this because it was just coming up constantly in my office, not specifically around orgasm. It, it, they would complain about that, but more just even being able to focus on the sex yeah. itself or stay present in their body. And so I reached out to one of the first sex therapy supervisors I had specifically because she had retired from seeing clients um, like around 2008, I think, you know, before, like that was pre Instagram, you know, people had, were starting to have smartphones and stuff, but it was not like it is today. And I asked her what she remembered about her clients saying that they had trouble focusing during sex. And I kind of told her what I was observing and she thought about it. And she said, you know, I just don't remember people complaining about that the way that you're describing, you know, we would have people, she said, who would get preoccupied by maybe having the strongest erection, or they would maybe get preoccupied worrying about their body image, things like that. But she was like, I don't remember people saying that they just could not quiet down their brain. And I just think it's because of the world we live in. And so, um, you know, we need to minimize this as much as possible, not just for sex and relationships, but I also think just for the quality of our sleep and overall health and well-being. So as much as possible, um, you know, the other day I was like, okay, I just felt like taking a bath and I was going to put a podcast on while I was in the tub. And then I was like, you know what? No, I am just going to soak. And so that's what I did. And I didn't have anything else to distract me. And I just closed my eyes and soaked in the quiet bathtub and it was lovely. So anytime you can find opportunities to just do one thing at a time, take it. I love that so much. I go for a walk every day. Obviously I'm on calls or podcasts all day, every day. And at the end of the day, I go for a walk and I'd say about 75% of the time I have my earphones in but like, Mm. there's nothing on. I just need silence at the end of the day. Like I actually, uh, it's really unhealthy, I'm sure. But I actually like vibrate towards the end of the day. I feel the same, Oh, do you? Oh my God. Sometimes I get in bed and I just feel like I'm buzzing. And I tell my husband, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? I have like, I really quote unquote, have nothing to worry about. And it's not like I'm worrying, but I'm just like shaking almost. It is just, it's nervous system activation is what it is. That's exactly what it is. And so like I walk and it still doesn't help every day. (laughs) Yeah. I felt like I had kind of gotten into a bad sleep cycle because of this. And so last night, literally I was like, okay, we're going to turn off the TV. And I sat and I got out my painting supplies and I just like painted for half an hour and we talked and then I got into bed and I fell asleep and it was lovely. So I think just giving yourself that time to naturally unwind without, and by then my phone was already on flight mode. So, you know, I think it's so important. Oh, so good. Okay. Well, we went from no devices to tell everyone where they can find you on, on all of their devices. <laughs> if you're going to be on your device, then you may as well follow me. Um, so I am on all the social media channels at Dr. Emily Jamia. That's Dr. Emily Jamia. Um, my website is emilyjamia.com. I've got tons of stuff there. I've got meditations you can download. I've got an online workshop for um, kind of reconnecting emotionally and sexually that is actually kind of what my book is about. So if you want to sneak peek into my book, which comes out next year, you can take my online workshop. And um, yeah, just tons of resources there. All my columns and blogs are listed there. So awesome. Are you still doing your podcast? 
I am. Yes. Okay. So fabulous. Podcast. Yes. It's called love and libido. So be sure to check it out, subscribe, and hopefully leave me a five-star review. If you like, definitely yes. leave her a five-star yeah, review. <laughs> You guys are listening to this one right now, whether you're watching on YouTube or you're listening to it, go to her podcast right now, Love and Libido, Dr. Emily Jamia. Go subscribe. You guys know how much that matters to us. It gets the message out. Go batch all of her content, workshops, meditations, blogs, and then next year, Anatomy of Desire. Is that right? That's right. How exciting. I know. I'm so excited. I just got the email from my editor yesterday to start thinking about my cover design so it's all happening it's real oh girl i loved it so much you guys please 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 go follow her share this episode with someone who needs to have some great sex thanks so much girl (laughs) thanks so much it was a pleasure Thank you all so much for joining me on today's episode of the Decide It's Your Turn podcast. If today's episode resonated with you at all, please share it with a friend. Also, head on over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review and a comment. What is it that you want us to talk about that will help you realize that at any moment and any day, you too can decide it's your turn. I'm Christina LeCure. I'll see you next time.